everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. It's me, your humble and obedient host. My name is fill in the blank. Hi, Phil. Hey, <laughs> Miss, that's Mr. In the Blank to you. It's Phil in the blank. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. In the blank was my old man. Ben, we'll say your name because I just did. Hey. But people will have to fill in the blank as what your title is. You're the something who's a something of something. It's a, the something is a something of something. Yep. I'm that. And why don't you introduce- All that and more. Yeah, all that and more. And why don't you introduce the other blank? <laughs> This is Pastor Jake Minsel. He's the something who's the something of something as well. Huh. Yeah. There you go. Welcome to Sound of Sanity, everybody. Thanks, Phil. You're welcome. <sighs> Guys, there's no better intro. Yes, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep it going. <laughs> it was strong out of the gate and it only gets better every time. Guys, today we're going to talk about a article from a publication named Mike.com which shows uh, culture and politics and identity through a new lens, or so I'm told by the little masthead on their website. And this is an article by Eleanor Cummins. Now, who is Eleanor Cummins? Uh, she is an adjunct professor at NYU of journalism, and she, at least according to her Twitter bio, bio writes at, the new, at New Republic, at Vox, and at Wired. And this is an article that, somewhat surprisingly to me, hasn't been getting a lot of play that I've seen at least in the conservative social media world. But it feels like everybody should read this article and understand this article because it's got some pretty, well, interesting implications. It's pretty wild. It's pretty wild to say the least. Mm -hmm. So this article is entitled, I feel like a survivor, colon, inside the funeral industry's 2021 national convention. And basically, the National Funeral Directors Association had their 2021 convention and expo. It was entitled Together Again, because I guess they <laughs> I guess they couldn't get together <laughs> during, during, COVID. during COVID. So they had their big expo and morticians and funeral directors and all these kinds of people got together. Roughly 5,000 funeral service providers descended on Nashville, as the article says, trading in their mortuary makeup and three-piece suits for cowboy hats and boots. It's one of those kind of evocative articles where the uh, little bit of a new journalism here where the the author walks around and kind of experiences the mm. whole expo and you get to experience it with them with yeah. with her in this particular case. So, guys, let's get to it. Why did we think this random article from mike.com by Eleanor Cummins about her walking around a, a National Funeral Directors Association convention was worth the notice of our listeners? Well, mm. Ben and Megan and I, Ben and his wife, Megan, and I were meeting yesterday and they brought it up in conversation. I forget why. Maybe it was because we were talking about Sound of Sanity, but mm-hmm. man, I don't know. You, you did a good enough job to make me interested in it yesterday. Yeah. Summarizing it. Maybe go ahead. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the, 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 the simple, the tagline is that the woke crowd wants our deaths and our dead bodies just as much as they want our lives and our and births and they want to impose their will on the whole process of death dying grieving yes. mourning burying yeah or not burying as the case well, may be yes there's all kinds of ways to deal with dead bodies so Some let me let me read than others. so here's a quote from the article 
so they talk. She starts by talking about the pandemic, and then she says the pandemic quote hasn't been the only thing driving change in funeral service. A tradition bound industry long dominated by middle-aged white men. Over the last decade, female mortuary school students have overtaken their male counterparts and upon graduation brought a new TikTokable sensibility to the industry. In June 2020, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Amy Stevens, a transgender funeral director who was fired from a Michigan funeral home after she announced she would be living and working as a woman. When I determined the 1964 Civil Rights Act protects workers from discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. And this spring, the first human composting facilities, so this is where if you weren't already thoroughly creeped out, it gets pretty creepy, opened in Washington state, launching one of the first truly new methods of final disposition in the U.S., and one explicitly motivated by environmental concerns. Well, even above that, because you jumped down to read that, am I right? Yeah, a little bit. So above that, um, talking about the conference schedule, you have a conversation about respecting LGBTQ plus clients and staff on the agenda. <laughs> a woman known on Instagram as Cold Hands was the first woman to lead an involving technical education session. All kinds of interesting, weird things happening at this place. Putting a dent in... Uh... <clears throat> the glass ceiling there. Mm-hmm. A little jab at having a, a, a little jab at the conference's session on funerals for law enforcement officers. That's when she 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 puts in one of her interviewees' comments about how this association quote continues to be the dinosaur that they've always been unquote. Yeah. So she has a narrative that she wants to cast her whole experience through. And it would be really interesting to actually go to this expo or to have actually been there because it's a little hard bet to read between the lines and see how much she was just bringing her own sense of this this battle between the old guard yeah, and the new guard. Yeah, you have the old middle-aged mm -hmm. white men and this like new guard that is rising up that is very LGBTQ+. Plus. It's full of women and the queer who mm -hmm. are there to take over and push an entirely new way of looking and thinking about these things and holding seminars on connecting with the LGBTQ plus community and handing out pamphlets on trans misogyny and stuff like that. Mm. And fighting with the guys that are there saying, I don't need to, why we, do we need to bring sexuality into absolutely everything? Right. So she attends and talks a lot about a presentation entitled Connecting with the LGBTQ plus community. I'll just read a little bit from this section. At the front of the room, Sarah Murphy, a death educator and suicidal suicidologist, and Timothy McLoon, a gay funeral director in Pennsylvania, opened their slides and began to circulate packets defining dozens of rele relevant concepts from assigned names to trans misogyny. Then just a few minutes in, they asked if anyone in the room had questions, prompting a Greek chorus of white men singing more of a comment than a question. Oh, she's being cute singing because they're a Greek chorus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Except for the Greek chorus is really just there. Well, anyway. The first guy <laughs> to stand up and speak, as I remember it, said that he would have to go back to college to learn everything in the packet and that all this stuff would send him into an early retirement. Another guy offered that he felt everyone benefited from his decision to make bathrooms in his funeral home gender neutral. I like how we're even sneering at some, mm -hmm. some middle-aged white guy who's trying to... <laughs> Trying to, trying to bend over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and then a few guys after that circled right back around crying, I don't bring my sexuality into everything. 
end quote. Um, skipping down a little bit. Eventually, it seemed like the queer people and allies in the room had finally had enough. <laughs> Alexandra Joe, the culture and content manager for Parting Stone, which solidifies cremated remains, interjected to say that it is, in fact, okay to ask people what their pronouns are, despite the fear some in the room were expressing of saying the wrong thing. One person who was visibly shaken, said they had experienced homophobia throughout their life, and a couple of Seattle-based funeral pros turned to comfort them. Toward the very end, a 19-year-old mortuary student named A.J. Stocker, who's gay, basically put the room on notice. The majority of his classmates were queer, he said, and they are coming for your jobs. That, it seems, was part of what Murphy McLuhan wanted everyone to understand, that LGBTQ colleagues and customers were already here. The limited survey data available suggests that the funeral service has long been the 11th queerest profession in the U.S., and a handful of people in the room already had personal experience serving queer descendant? decedents, that's how you say that, decedents, often of the heartbreaking variety, including cases where the legal next of kin made decisions that ran counter to the dead person's wishes and those of their chosen family. So she goes on and goes around the expo and experiences more young people trying to bring change to the industry and bring echo credibility to the industry. And Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how many more details we want to give people from the article, but we'll link to it in the notes. You can go and see pictures of what these stones are and the solidified remains you can hold type. Yeah. If it's talking about and the different types of embalming fluids that are being Mm-hmm. And the different books that you can buy there and all sorts of things like that. And the new, what was it? Aquamation? Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. Aquamation. Yeah, let me just read that part because I think it's it's the other thing this article emphasizes that's worth knowing. So, quote, traditionally funeral directors directed selling families on the same mahogany casket floral arrangement combo they deemed most appropriate, said blah, 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 a self-identified hustler and founder of Disrupt Media a social media management company who spent the week, blah, blah, blah. But if people want to send their ashes to outer space or have a kegger for their funeral reception in the middle of a cemetery, who are we as professionals to say whether that is dignified or not? In his view, dignity lies with the consumer. After decades of delay, the change is coming quicker than ever, says the author of the article. The next five years are going to be really interesting, Stansbury said, because that group of white male owners is getting older and are going to sell or go away or die. They will be replaced by women, bilingual people, queer people, a whole range of funeral directors who can do a traditional embalming and burial, plus a cremation, an aquamation, a human composting, and any other service a family might dream up, unquote. So, yes, I'm reminded of when I worked for an answering service that answered for many funeral homes, we had someone call in and ask if their loved one could get a Viking burial they were actually i don't think it was a frank prank phone call they actually wanted to see if they could set up to put their loved one on a boat and then fire arrows set on fire into the boat and we had to have the funeral home director call them back and tell them no that would be against the law for all kinds of reasons but anyway guys what's the why did we want to this is the kind of article that makes me feel sort of sick like if this is the kind of thing that bothers you i might suggest just taking our word for it and not reading the article because it's it's grisly to think about things like human composting and some of the stuff that these people act so blase about but 
why are we bringing this to our listeners' attention, fellas? The real takeaway for me when Ben and Megan started describing the article yesterday was just, yeah, this is a religion and they're coming for, and have been for years after every facet of human life. Nothing's off limits and especially the most sacred things. So, mm-hmm. we marriage is a front that we had all been tracking before Ober- Obergefell. Children, adoption, that sort of thing we'd been tracking. Abortion, we'd been tracking. But the death industry is another one. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's a shadow world. I mean, I just mean it's it goes unnoticed by... I mean, I just don't think about the funeral industry at all. Right. Right. But if you need proof that this is an all-encompassing religion that intends to take over absolutely every part of our culture and our lives and the most sacred parts of it, that there is, in fact, nothing off limits. Here's more proof, Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it certainly goes to show, I mean, religion concerns itself with rights of birth, sex, and death. Right. And it would be very silly if the woke religion was not concerning itself with death, actually. That is where they should go if they want to propagate their their values. (laughs) But... The other thing that I got to thinking about as I read this article was just how you don't think about all the vulnerable in our society and the way that these various ideas and agendas hit them. So, I always like to tell the story of the old lady with the gnarled hands that served me a burger at two o'clock in the morning at Hardee's and how that got me to think about feminism and like, yeah, it's great if some one percenter with money can be free to write her novel and ride horses or something like that. But this woman's husband left her and now she has to work at Hardee's and she's actually the one paying the price for no fault divorce and for all these things that we celebrate in in a similar sense. There's all these little nooks and crannies of society, all these little hidden, hidden away places where, where these things hit, where these, where this poison permeates and it's gross what it does. Uh, and, and so what what I what I mean is I used to work with this industry, adjacent to this industry somewhat, because I, I worked for an answering service. We answered for a lot of funeral homes. And anecdotally, just across the board, you basically had, I would say, three different kinds of funeral directors or morticians. I don't know, for whatever and then when I went and became or no, before that, when I worked as a janitor, I worked with a former mortician who had gotten out. So for whatever reason, I've just had a lot of experience with being on just on the fringes of this industry. And what I noticed was basically you had three types. You had the stolid middle-aged white guy, like they're describing the sort of John Wayne, just very professional, disconnected from, you know, able to just compartmentalize and just be a white collar professional about this whole thing. And, and, and usually had, it would have a little bit of a good old boy affectation, you know, a little bit of a salesman type thing. So, you'd have that kind of person. And then you'd have the person that pretended to be that kind of a person, but was a stone cold alcoholic. I don't know how many times we would have to call up funeral directors in the middle of the night and they would just be too drunk and we wouldn't be able to get a, get, get a hold of them. And we'd go down the list of all the other funeral directors who worked for these funeral homes and wouldn't be able to get a hold of them. So, there would be those people. And then there would be the women in the industry and they would all be very hard edged and alcoholics 
And I could tell stories about, you know, calling people who were at bars, who were drinking and yelling and celebrating. And it, it was just, I mean, the, no other industry, because I worked for doctors, I worked for electricians. It was a really interesting job. I worked adjacent to a lot of different industries and in some proximity kind of, you know, as an answering service, you don't just take information, you end up dealing with personalities and you end up dealing with the client base of whatever the industry is. So you talk to the people who call in. And so I learned a lot about the funeral business. And uh, the thing that I learned was that it was a really hard business for people that, you know, these people are dealing with death. And so they all had a gallows sense of humor about it, as you would expect. A lot of them, especially the women, tended to be vulgar in the way that they rubbed your nose in the details. You know, they, they, would, they, they, they would take an opportunity to tell me what they were going to do to a body, you know, in terms of like the, 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 the grisly details of what happens in their industry. And a lot of them were very, very angry, very drunk people. That's just, that was just my experience. I'm sure there's many nice funeral directors, but, and it was just fascinating how it was this nexus point of conflicts that they, it wasn't just the fact that they were facing death all the time. It's that they, as, as this article says, you know, you're, you're dealing with the worst day of every person's life every day or something like that. I think it says it more elegantly than that. But we, as an answering service, ended up having to mitigate so many stupid family conflicts and stuff where one group of relatives would call in and then another, and then the estranged dad would call in and then the third group of, you know, concerned aunts and uncles would call in and they would all be vying for a certain thing to happen with a body. You'd also have things with, you know, it was, it was fascinating to see the battle between the organ donation people and the funeral home service directors who hated each other. I don't know. I mean, I, constantly there would be this rush for the funeral director to get there before the organ donation people. Like the way that the funeral directors, like they would, they had some very colorful language to talk about the organ donation people. They would just, they, they just viewed them as these predatory kind of people that seized on grief <coughs> to ply their bloody trade and to, and so, and so the way that they saw it was that an organ donation person would just hang out like, you know, by a surgery wing or, or an ICU or something like that. And if there was a grieving widow or something, they'd kind of come alongside them and ask, act, act real compassionate, but they'd just be trying to get a signature to make their quota. And then the disdain that the organ people had for the bodies was what the funeral directors really resented because they felt like they just went in there, harvested whatever they were allowed to harvest and had no consideration for the family. Rip or it all out. Just ripped mm -hmm. it out and left. And so the funeral directors would just, I, I cannot replicate their language on this podcast that, uh, you know, is a family podcast, I guess. But, you know, they, they, they just, they, there was such animosity between these two groups. So, so it was a really interesting job. But what you saw was just the vulnerability that it opens up to you being in that industry, working with death all the time. People, people, by and large, I would say they did not feel religious to me. They felt like good American kind of deists, maybe at best. Hmm. Or Catholics, you know, the kind of Catholic that goes to Christmas and Easter. And they're all sort of friendly to religion. And, you know, they have to be able to go to every church in uh -huh. the community and have a relationship with the pastor and a relationship. Yeah, they have to at least be good at acting friendly. Right. So they all kind of had that. But as the, the answering service 
the thing is you kind of get the real version of people because you're this random professional voice on the phone and you're calling someone at two in the morning. And so if they have a complaint or they're hungover or something, they, they just tell you, you know, and so I just heard their real thoughts on, oh, you know, this, this father is, you know, of this parish is really annoying. Putting it nicely, that's not what they would have said. But so it's well, really as the article points out throughout the convention. This is a quote from the article. I heard an undertaker's job described as supporting people on the worst day of their lives right. every day. Yeah, yeah, that's the quote I was trying to remember. Yeah, and so you have all these people that have to look death in the face every day, have to deal with the most heightened family conflicts, have to deal with weird situations like oh a young man on the streets died and we have the body in our morgue but no one wants to claim it and we can't find the family and it's just been sitting there for months that's a real story that i remember dealing with over the course of months and they're all you know i i what i was saying to ben and jake before we started recording was it really makes you think no woman should be allowed to be in this industry mm -hmm. you, you need a very clinical able to compartmentalize kind of professional man of the type that they barely make anymore because they do exist and and they were the ones that seemed to be noble that I knew and in my you know admittedly limited anecdotal experience there was there was a handful of those but then everybody else was just drinking to so that they didn't have to think too much about their job or being vulgar or just being nasty about it mm -hmm. desensitized yeah just desensitizing themselves in every possible way that they could well, yeah, I mean, the, that's one way of dealing with with death in a culture that's defined by Christ. But what these folks represent is, you know, another resurgence of paganism. And what they're going to do is celebrate death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to, they're going to. I mean, you literally have pictures here of, one of these pictures is of some mortician or funeral director or something dressed up as a, like, cosplaying as a dead Elvis. Right, right, right. Right, like he's got on an mm -hmm. Elvis suit, but he's got like you know skull paint on his face, and well, that seems in line with the people that I knew. Um, that kind of cosplaying. Well, that just co is it really cosplaying? Cosplaying? Cosplay? I don't know. But, uh, cosplaying. I'm just re repeating Jake. Well, I wasn't going to call us on it until two people said it. Uh. Yeah, I mean, and look, I, I I don't mind a little bit of gallows humor. I would be more shocked than not if somebody had a little gallows, didn't have a little gallows humor in mm -hmm. that industry. I mean, the term gallows humor comes from the gallows, right? But I don't know. I, the thing that I st stuck out to me about this article is that it, it is it is actually such a vulnerable industry full of sad people. I mean, just like who who grows up and says, I want to be a mortician? Hmm. And there's a very creepy answer to that question, which is... Apparently a high percentage of homosexuals. Yeah, ap apparently a bunch of perverts grow mm -hmm. up, which we don't need to say any more about that in this podcast. But if you think about that for two seconds, it's pretty creepy. Mm -hmm. But then you also just have people that it's the family business or they fall into it one way or another, or they decide to do, go, go into it for the money, but, but they're vulnerable. And this kind of ideology can eat those kinds of people up. And so, it's just this weird, gross window into something that's usually out of sight that you just don't even think about. But as I read this article, I felt really sorry for the industry because I sort of, I always liked them. They were, they were a really, really likable 
talkative group of drunk, hmm. drunk life hating. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were flamboyant. They were colorful, right? They were kind of, it was kind of an interesting thing to little chunk of my life. But it just made me sad to think that, oh, all the neo-pagans and demon worshipers and perverts are encroaching on this industry and they're able to do it because of what a weird vulnerable industry it is i don't know what else do you guys want to say about this article i think it's worth noting that the industry itself is pretty new and Mm -hmm. um at least pretty new in the west i mean you can go back to ancient egypt and have some something like like the funeral industry but in general families handle death and just like families handled birth and you had to deal with it and you dealt with it and then it was dealt with. Right. And you didn't call in professionals. There weren't professionals to call in. So. Yeah. I think that is interesting. I, th- I think, you know. And the article talks about that just a little bit, points it out at least. Well, it does make you wonder if society wouldn't be richer if it was just an ugly thing that we all had to deal with sometimes instead of. Some people deal with it all the time. Yeah. And and nobody deals with it. Most most of the the time. time. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. We would all be forced to deal with death and our own mortality in a much more sober way. That's Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh Yeah. Well, if you read the letters of Jane Austen, which I have, it's fascinating how many times a relative or a brother or her father or whatever will die. And Jane Austen writes extensively in in her letters about, for whatever reason, Jane Austen was really interested in their facial expression. So she'll ask like her huh. sister, what, what did he look like as we, as, as we buried him? Or she'll describe like, you know, dad had a peaceful look or, huh. you know, brother, whoever had a, but it just, it was a window into me to how, like how, hmm. how tactile and connected they were at the time. Like, well, he died in his bed and now he's sitting in the parlor like, while we all grieve. And then a few hours later, we're throwing him in the ground and. Mm. Yep. It's all going to happen within about 24 hours. Hmm. And you're going to wash the body yourself and yeah, just like the, think of Mary Magdalene and the the women who Mm -hmm. came to wash and care for and dress Jesus's body. Yeah. That was, that was an act of love and something that we, we've lost, but that previous generations, most of mankind would have been intimately familiar with. And however queasy it makes us to even think about that says something about the world that we live in and don't know that it says something good. However much we may personally not relish the thought of. All right, guys. Well, somebody sum it up for us. What did we learn today on Sound of Sanity? We learned that the funeral and mortician industry is a vulnerable industry in more than one way. But right now that it's maybe being taken over by the LGBTQ woke crowd because Religious reasons. Mm-hmm. That's what we learned. Yep. That's what we learned. <laughs> yay. yay. <laughs> wow. That was dumb. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> it's a useful piece of information to keep in your pocket, I think, because when they make a movie or, or, or something like that, they're they're not going to show you the gross weird things that wokeism does. You know, if if you're trying to sell your religion to somebody, you, you put the Vestal Virgins up front. You don't put the 
the weird funeral rites and sacrifices front and center. And so you're not going to see a movie. You're just going to see a movie about like hot 20 something gay guys, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make it in New York or something like that, you know, but you're, you're not going to see a movie about uh, weird, gross things that are happening in the funeral industry. Although, I don't know, man, I, I feel like this is a Netflix show waiting to happen. No, it totally. I mean, there is, I mean, what you're going to, yeah, yeah, it's your, just like uh, CSI. Yes. Darkly Dreaming Dexter, all that stuff. Uh, six, six Feet Under was a funeral. Six Feet Under, yeah. Show. Yeah, as I was thinking of that, I was already, I was thinking of all the shows <laughs> that already do this kind of stuff, but I still think my point stands one way or another. It, yeah, I, it does, one way or another, yeah. For our audience. Yeah. Yep. You know, our audience is not going to watch a bunch of dark, like, let's cathartically rub our... I mean, maybe some of them will, but... <sighs> this is war. Yep. Yep. All right. And... If you want to support these soldiers, you do it at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. All kinds of exciting things happening there. Until next time. Stay sane. 